2 Kings chapter 23. Now, the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he, that's Josiah, read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So up to this point, obviously he had been read to, but now as a king, he wants to do the very next thing any one of us, I think, desires in our heart. When we receive the good news, we want to give the good news to everybody. And so he goes to all the people and he gathers all the people in Judah that are still alive and left. And he says, come together, all of you. And he could have said anything. He said, this is what I think. I, I, you know, I am a godly and righteous man. You know, Josiah could have said that. He doesn't. You know what he does? He opens the word of God and he lets the Lord speak to his people through the moving of the Holy Spirit. And he says here that it's the book of the covenant. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Is that Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, which would have been authored up to this point? Uh, or is it just the book of Deuteronomy? We, we really don't know. I, I, I have a, I don't know about you and your Bibles on my side. I've got a question mark and, you know, a pointer to ask Jesus one day, right? Lord, what was this? Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform. Isn't that beautiful? It's exactly what Jesus said. The words of this covenant that were written in this book. So when you read the word of God and it conforms and changes your heart, the next thing you want to do is with the right heart is you want to obey the Lord, and you want to obey the word of God and keep his commandments, statutes, and judgments. That's a right response. There, there shouldn't really be a wrestling or a wrestling or a tassel going on. Certainly our flesh wages war against the spirit, but there's something that for a born-again believer that's just very wonderful and special about opening the word of God and the truth of the Lord being pressed right on our hearts. Knowing that as we seek for truth, because truth is at a premium today, to know that we can open this word any day of the week, any hour, any moment, and God is willing and able to speak directly to us with perfect truth, perfect clarity in all righteousness. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. I like that. Everybody said, so be it, or amen, which also means that's the truth. I think today, modernly, we think it means just so be it. But it also means, and that's the truth, like, that's the word, man. That's the word. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest and the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and Asherah, right? So you may, you may remember they had, we read this already, all of these pagan idols that were brought into the temple of the Lord. Manasseh had done wickedly and said, bring Baal, bring all Ashereth, which is, that's a goddess of sexual immorality. So that means, you know, I don't think, I don't want to be handcuffed in here. I don't think we have too many young people. We're talking about temple prostitution. We're talking about very disgraceful things, just abominable things that would have gone on in, in the place of God's said his presence was going to dwell. There was, there was a lack of purity, a lack of purity. And so we see this basically that these, these items are still there up until this point. Even though Josiah had gone and begun to clean out some of the air, these items in the temple had stayed and this worship was continuing. And this is where Josiah is going to be faithful to the Lord. There is no compromise and he's going to remove it all. And, and I don't know about you, when you got saved, maybe you had an experience like Josiah. I call it a Josiah moment uh, when I'm counseling or I'm talking to people and they come in and the pastor, I just got saved last week. They're very excited. I'm excited with them. All of heaven rejoices. And, and they said, and I began to read the Bible and I went to my DVD collection and I took it out and I put it on eBay. No, no, I pray they don't say that, right? They burn it. 
There's no compromise. It's not, let me keep the worship of Baal and Ashereth, and, and oh, by the way, let me see if I can sell it to the pagan guys down the road so I can at least get something for it, you know, because I do have to replace something in the temple after all. No, we, we don't see any compromise here by Josiah. This is a perfect example for us. There is no gray. There is no room in that, okay? So he goes and he removes it. He destroys it. And, the, and we're going to read even here tonight. He's going to pulverize things. That's a very strong term that we see even in the Hebrew. The idea is grind it to a pulp or grind it to the point of where you can't even make out what it is like sand in your hand. Other than knowing it's sand or cement or made of something, you have no idea what this once was. And there's no way to reconstitute it. There's no way to put it back into form again. And, that, and that's the language that we see here in the Hebrew. That's the depth to which Josiah was going to honor true worship with the Lord. And it's a picture for us. There is no flirting with sin. There is no flirting with the idol. Death to it. Death to it. Death to the pagan gods that way. That's what he's demonstrating here. There's no compromise or balance. I don't, I don't see that word in scripture. And for all the host of heaven, right? And he's talking about, you know, the other idols, the other principalities and power type things they had set up in there. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron. Again, didn't sell them, didn't take his DVD collection and say, let me put it on eBay. Let me put it on, you know, whatever marketplace. I don't know what they even call that. Um, the marketplace where you put it online and you sell the Facebook marketplace, get rid of it all, burn it. Because just like Elisha, he burned a plow. There's no going back. The cross before me, the world behind me. I love this. This is beautiful because Josiah did it right. He did it right. Not to say he's not going to have an error. We're going to read here, but he did it right. And he carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idols or the idolatrous priests. And, and I should back up. Circle Bethel. I probably, I, I presume maybe some of you read this before or you, you're familiar with Bethel was the very place that Jeroboam, right? He had set up initially calf worship. That was in Bethel. So when you start to think about that, what he did is he brought the ashes to Bethel. Why did he do that? To desecrate it so that no more pagan worship could be done there the way that Jeroboam had originally desecrated it, that area, Bethel, I mean Bethel, right? House of God. That's what that means in the Hebrew. And so he goes and brings it back to where Jeroboam turned around and he to do this calf worship and he does it to draw the attention to just just desecrate that whole area so it cannot be used that way again so he moved the idolatrous priests whom the kings of judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of judah and in all the places around jerusalem and those who burned incense to baal to the sun to the moon to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven so in this list, we see inclusive, and I want to be very clear here. We're talking about the occult, all right? We're talking about horoscopes. We're talking about astronomy. We're talking about fortune telling. We're talking about any mediums. We're talking about anything that has to do, whether it's entertainment, as you would describe it, as some people would describe it, not you, forgive me, but as some people in the world or even some Christians, you might say that might be uninformed about this, would say that, well, I, I, just, I just get my horoscope or I just get my, uh, my palm read because it's fun and it's entertainment. Um, no. We, the, no. There, there is nothing like that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, he tells us here very clearly as he's following the commandments and statutes of God, okay, because that's what he said he did earlier in chapter 23, that he's actually getting, ready, getting rid of any worship to creation, which is sun and moon, to the constellations, which is the stars and the things, the planets and the different things like that. The hosts of heaven. So that means anything of the principalities and powers. Okay. Any type of uh, being other than God Almighty. And the wooden images 
from the house of the Lord that were there, right, to the brook Kidron outside of Jerusalem. And he burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw the ashes on the graves. Again, why is he doing it on the graves? Because it's all death anyway, isn't it? That pagan kind of worship, it leads you to death. So he gives them an action sermon right in that moment by taking it and saying, you want to know what it looks like right over the grave? That's symbolic of death. You go to a cemetery, and what is that symbolic of? It's death. It's not life. I don't walk to a cemetery, and probably most of you don't walk to a cemetery. Go, look at the life around here. You know, boy, it's just really rocking, you know? I, I, forgive me, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I think it's important. The cemetery is a place where you bury dead bodies, death. And he goes to this place and he sprinkles this false idea, symbolizing, identifying with the fact that that's all death. All that leads is to death and destruction. It doesn't lead to the Lord. It doesn't lead to living with Jesus forever and ever. It's the exact opposite of that. So he goes on to say, and he threw ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons. And so, again, this encompasses prostitution that was going on in the land. This encompasses homosexual uh, behaviors and prostitutions because you can read extra biblically, even from some Jewish sources, uh, Josephus and others would write about later on to say that there was this kind of stuff going on in Judah. Paul writes something very similar as he walks the streets of Ephesus, as he looks around him and he talks about the wickedness of the world and the things of the world. And it really has no business to be anywhere near God's people or God's people have no business being anywhere near these things. So he goes through and he literally tears down these, these booths, these ritual booths would be these tents, these homage to this perversion of homosexuality, lesbian, you know, um, prostitution and those things that were in, please underline this in your Bible. This is how far it got that we're in the house of the Lord, that the purity of God's house the building, right? Not just the building, but the purity because we are the body of Christ. When we allow that to come into the church, it compromises the purity of the corporate gathering of the body of Christ. It compromises all of it. Are we perfect? No. Are we sinless? No. We fall short of the glory of God, but we're saved. And we come in with the aim of being forgiven by God and, and, and confessing our sin. And we come in desiring purity and not filth. That's the difference, right? They were allowing this to go on. I, I mean, I just want us to, to understand how bad it got. That this is why this judgment has to come that we read about in chapter 22. The wrath of God that has to be borne Because they literally had crossed the line so many times. And God is so long-suffering but then eventually he gives them over to their own desires that way. You want this? You have as much of it as you can, you, you can tolerate to the point of where it destroys them. And then God has to be a righteous God. He's a judge. And he judges the sin. And, and that's what we're seeing. And, and he's using, even though Josiah is going through, we're going to see it, it won't. God is still going to carry out this judgment. So they were in the house of the Lord that the Woman, where the woman had wove hangings, again, hangings of idolatry. Some have suggested body parts, things like that, for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense. He, he's saying he violated them by bringing these things there and desecrating them. These pagan uh, men and women would, would never try to worship there that way again because it's been desecrated. Can't be reused. From Geba to Beersheba, also he broke down the high places and the gates, which at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city. All right, so he, he's going and he's talking about going outside of Jerusalem, as we're going to continue to read here. He, he's going not just where he's dwelling, in Judah, Jerusalem. He's, it's not enough. 
He's going to try to cleanse as much of the land of this idolatry. He's even going to go up north by Samaria, uh, even though the northern tribes already been scattered by this time, because that happened in 722 by Assyria. He's, he's now going to go, and he's even going to try to cleanse. He just doesn't want any of this filth. No more. I don't know about you. I, some days I wake up, and I, I, I praise the Lord for this passage, because I, I feel that way in my heart. Lord, no more of the filth. No matter where, not just in my house, I praise God that, you know, you know, our house, we, we keep it pure. We don't allow things in there that are inappropriate. It's certainly not in the church here. But is, I, is that enough? What about the neighborhood? What about the, you know, we walk around our neighborhood. We, uh, we pray. We, I call it pray walking. We pray and we pray for our neighbors. We pray for the houses as I walk by them, uh, you know, often to pray, Lord, Whatever's going on here, you know, whatever demonic influence, Lord, cast it out in your name, Jesus Christ. And then after the block, you know, you, you, you get in the car and you start driving to a place. I just start praying. You probably do all the same thing. You start praying for the neighborhoods and, and then you start praying for the cities and then the capital that's miles from us, just miles from us. And the things that go on there and the just horrible things, Is it, does it ever end? Is there enough where you'll ever get to the point and say, oh, well, it's okay to have a little leaven a little sin no no it's 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 compromise it's compromise and and that's where Josiah is at he's he is so turned off from what's been going on in that nation that it's just disgusts him he doesn't want to see another pagan idol again for the rest of his life he doesn't want to see another pagan idol verse 9 nevertheless the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem. And the reason for that is because they were disqualified. They were disqualified because they had engaged and compromised and he would not allow them to come up. He says, no, you're not going to come up here because you've disgraced the name of the Lord. You've brought dishonor to his name. You've disqualified yourself. And I'm not going to pretend that that didn't happen. I'm not going to pretend he's not going to play church. So he turns around and says, no, they, they didn't get to do this. It's, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. But they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. So he still, obviously, he provided. God provides. He provides for them. He doesn't, in turn, kill them, right? He doesn't say, oh, you've desecrated the house of the Lord. You did these things, you know, and just burn. No, he shows grace. Josiah is a beautiful type. It's a topology here that we see of just Jesus Christ, the desire, the purity, and yet the beautiful love and grace that Josiah had. And he defiled Tobeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire. He's talking about the, the abortion clinics, right? I'm sorry, I'm using the modern term for the, the child sacrifice uh, idols, you know, Timosh and others that they would have Canaanite, you know, pagan gods that they would have placed their children in and literally allowed the fire to burn and sear the child, uh, not killing them instantly, but torturing them as they would roll down from the top of the arms. It was kind of like they, the arms were out like this and it would come down, roll down the body, all of it being lit with fire, exposed with fire, as the child would be scorched alive, rolling down all the way to the feet and then eventually to a kind of like a tray at the bottom where there would be coals and ashes and burned alive. And they would do that. These are, these are Jewish men and women that are under the law that were doing these things. We're not talking about just the pagans. The pagans were doing this, but God's chosen people had begun to compromise the word of God and therefore began to do these things thinking, well, I need insurance, don't I? I might as well pray to this God and that God and this God and, and it's perversion and idolatry. And so he says, look at, he, he ripped that down, uh, you know, the fire to Molech cause it's just disgusting. Then he removed the horses, uh, the, the astrology, different things like that. The Kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord. Did you, did you catch that? The Kings of Judah. At the entrance of the house, Lord, by the chamber of Nathan, Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. How long did this take? From the reign of Solomon to this point, we're going to get to right around 
verse 14, verse 13, 14, I think I dated it. It's somewhere around 291 years after the death of Solomon. A short period of time. And the, the, the wickedness and the thing. Look how far you remove the word of God. You take prayer all out. You remove the truth of God. You, you say, well, let's, let's agree to disagree. Let's, let's find a balance. Can't we coexist? Can't we, can't we find, you know, the commonality? I mean, certainly there must be multiple ways to please God, your God, my God, relativism. You know what it leads to? It leads to this. This is exactly what we read in scripture and it didn't take long. And oh, by the way, how long is the United States of America, a Christian nation founded on the word of God, our laws, our judicial system, our governance model, all built on the word of God. And oh, by the way, how many hundred years? We're right there, aren't we? Didn't take us too long either. When you compromise it, when our Supreme Court, when you start taking the law and you, you take the Ten Commandments, I know that's an example of the moral law, right? Uh, we're not certainly under ceremonial practices any longer in that. I, I understand that. But you remove that from courtrooms? You remove that from places where judges are called to, to weigh with integrity and morality and honor? And you remove those things? You redefine marriage based on a cultural norm, on what people think is right in their own eyes. You take the Bible out of schools in the 60s and prayer out of the schools and you replace it with critical race theory and you replace it with propaganda that teaches your children that the relativism is more important than the sanctity of human life and that God through creation purposed every man and every woman, every child, and God doesn't make a mistake. And you begin to teach evolution contrary to an actual creation account in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And you begin to teach that even revelation and, you know, it's let's just allegorize it. And not take it literal that God is coming again. And that Revelation chapter 6, when he says wrath, he means wrath. The wrath of the Lamb. And we, we symbolize these things. And we say, well, it's okay because at least what's going on in my house, it's all right. If, if, other, if my neighbor wants to do what my neighbor wants to do, that's okay. But that's no skin off my back. As long as my kids are okay, as long as I'm okay, well, then I'm... Let it keep on keeping on. This is how you end up with a nation that's imploding. This is how you end up with Judah. With kings literally instituting these things. With a lack of morality from the top all the way to the bottom and the bottom all the way to the top. You know... 40 and 50 years ago, pastors stood in pulpits and they read these very words when the word of God was actually taught in churches, line by line and verse by verse. And they would have to go back and look at European nations and other countries to give application to help people understand, see, this is what happened in the Old Testament in the times of captivity, and this is what happened in England, and this is what's happened in other nations that were once Christian. Did they ever think, many of them are with Jesus right now, but did they ever think that they, one day another pastor would stand in the pulpit and declare before you all here tonight, that this has happened. That we have watched history once again repeat itself. We pray for revival. But we're due for judgment in this country. We're due for judgment. And we know that's right according to the laws, the commandments, and statutes of the Lord.
what we can do is what Josiah did. Not be content to be indifferent, but to settle it in our hearts and to purify through the Lord's leading, purify our hearts, our family, our homes, our neighborhoods, to stand for righteousness, even if we stand alone. Even if we stand alone, friends. Because Josiah, he stood alone at eight years old. A young boy, he stood alone. And now he's 27 plus years of age. And, and look all he's doing for the Lord. Verse 12. The altars that were on the roof of the upper chambers of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and all the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house lord, the king broke down and, there's that strong word again, circle it in your Bibles, pulverized. He pulverized it there and he threw their dust into the brook Kidron, that the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, as we know that as the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, okay? Right near the Mount of... It is the Mount of Olives. Do, do you see what he's doing? It's, it's the entire area he, he's seeking to cleanse, right? He's removing all of it. It, it. He didn't say, oh, this building is, you know, we've had this for hundreds of years. It's been corrupt. This is so historical. Certainly, we have to keep these historical images that are of pagan gods. I mean, we don't want to destroy history, right? I understand the other side of that. I understand what's happening now with rewriting history and what we see happening in our own country with our you know, forefathers or people that have done amazing work, citizens, patriots of our country. I understand those are being ripped down from cities and squares. But I'm talking about the inverse. Nobody has a, the, the, the enemy and, the, and those things are happening. But I don't see a Christian standing up. And look, I'll put myself right in this boat first, okay? I, I don't see my Christian standing up going to these cities when they took the altar. Remember the, uh, the altar they had that they were going around with pagan, the pagan worship. I can't remember if it was Molech or which pagan god it was. They were shipping it to multiple cities, D.C., New York City. And they were going around and shipping. And it's historical and it's an art artifact. So let's come out and at least, you know, pay homage to it to say, wow, that's really interesting and beautiful because how many... Hundreds of years, thousands of years old is it? No, not with Josiah. He didn't care how historical it was. If it's corrupt, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Why did he say that? Well, hold your finger here for a minute. Turn, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 34, please. He wasn't acting out of character. Out of character of the Lord. Exodus chapter 34. Let's look at verses uh, 12 through 17. Exodus chapter 34, verse 12. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going. Did he not foretell them and command them not to do that? Lest it be a snare for you in the midst. Yeah, I found this to be so true. There's not a single time that I enter a sin that God hasn't gone before me and warned me about when I'm going to do it. It's not like I'm, I'm without fault I'm, or, or blind to it. He clearly has warned me, avoid those things, right? But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Do you see that here? He was commanded to do that. He had read the scriptures, and then he read the scriptures to the people. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Did you ever see that? The Lord, one of his names, Jealous? Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of its sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play with the harlot of their gods. And that would happen to who? Solomon. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. There it is. Nothing that you would worship. 
make nothing. What about Deuteronomy chapter 12? On your way back, stop at Deuteronomy chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1, Deuteronomy. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispose or dispossess, right? Serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. Israel was to be different. They were God's chosen people. They were actually to be a witness to the surrounding nations, not worship the gods of the surrounding nations. They were to be, as we define the word holy, and it means set apart. And you shall, well, sorry, and you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire, and you shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from the place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Please notice that. Where God chooses. Jerusalem. Not Jeroboam. I'm going to go worship in Samaria because I think it's better my northern tribe doesn't have to travel down south because I'm insecure that the people are going to go back and follow Rehoboam. No. God is very detailed how he wants to be worshipped, where he wants to be. He was very clear in the law in the Old Testament where they were to worship. Script down to verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest of the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan, dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. And he gives you the rest from all your enemies round about. That was the promise. That's what, that's what, that's what God's best looks like. That's what he had for them. Right? Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? And they said, no, thank you. We, we, we think we can do it better. You can turn back to the second Kings. So he goes on again. This is 291 years later, right? Because he's going to mention Solomon here. We were, we were back here in uh, verse 13. He says, south of the Mount of Corruption, again, the Mount of Olives, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashereth, some 291 years earlier, right? The abomination of the Sidonians for Shemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with bones of men. Why? Because death is a defilement, Right? Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, you can just hold your finger here one second. I'm going to turn to 1 Kings 13 quickly. You might remember in 1 Kings 13, there was a man of God. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord to Jeroboam, who stood by the altar of incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah, by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you shall the sacrifice of the priests, of the high priests who burn the incense of you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. It was prophetic. It was prophetic. All the way back in 1 Kings 13, we read that. And here we are, and we're finally, feeling, you know, finally seeing this come to, to be. He goes on and says, And it was at Bethel in the high places which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Remember the bones there? He said the bones of men. He had made both the altar and the high place. He broke down, and he burned the high places and crushed it to powder, and he burned the wooden images. And Josiah turned and saw the tombs that were on the mountain, 
And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar, again, to defile it. And he defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God had proclaimed. That's what we just read in chapter 13, uh, verse 2 of 1 Kings, right? It was, it was prophetic. Some 200 years later, 200, no, 280 years later, this is fulfilled, fulfilled scripture. Every time I see that, I love to put a little, you know, asterisk or star or something like that. Just one more promise of God that we see God is a promise keeper. And it continues to build our faith. Every time we read the scriptures, God says this, it happens. God says this, it happens. It's, there's well over 1,500 to 1,700 prophecies. I'm not even counting just promises that God, Wolverine wrote a wonderful book that goes through every single one of these prophecies of God. Just 500 or 550 or something like that alone just dealing with Messiah. I mean, these things are beyond contestation. It's, it's wonderful to study these, though, from a systematic theology perspective. But anyway, we, we just see it again. He, he, God says, and, and why do I bring that up in this point? Because some people, I think, Lord, it's getting really bad. Are, are you really coming? Yes. He said he's coming again. And he's a promise keeper. He's coming again. He says, be ready. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. We ought to be ready for that right now. I mean, any moment it can happen. And I, we ought to live like that. We ought to not have too tight of a grip on the things of this world on the earth. You might find out you got a too tight of a grip that you actually don't want to let go. And then those individuals will find themselves left behind because they left their first love. And that's, that'll be a sad, certainly a sad moment and sad day. Then he said, and back in verse 17, then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? This is the man of God's, by the way. So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds that he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places, he's talking about the north now, who were on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover. Okay, now, now back to the word, right? So we had this you know, momentary break, right? We got taken off and now back to the word of God where he comes back and says, and oh yeah, where was I with the people? Oh yeah, and the Passover. And what he's about to institute as a Passover has not, as we read in Second Chronicles chapter 35, right around verse 18, we read very clearly that he institutes a Passover that has not been seen since the days of the judges. Since the days of the judges, as far as the celebration and, 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 and the, because it was a deliverance, right? You know, the Passover, uh, remember, uh, God had commanded that they would go back and over their, their doorposts, their doorposts that way. And on the lintels on the top and on the sides, they were to take lamb's blood and put it, and then even have blood on the bottom. And that way the angel would pass over those houses and keep them safe. And while there was you know, death of the new, of the firstborn for the Egyptians. You remember that? God delivered and protected. And so they were to keep this Passover. It was actually part of the law that was given, but they actually hadn't been keeping it. Okay. So they hadn't celebrated like this till really from the, since the days of Samuel, the prophet. So we read that in second Chronicles 30, 35 verse 18. It kind of tells us that keep the Passover to the Lord. Your God as is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had not been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the Kings of Israel and the Kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away all those who consulted mediums, spiritists, and the household gods and idols. Did, did you just catch that? Underline that in your, your scriptures. He wasn't content just corporately what was going on. He says, no, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No, by the way, for you and your house, you should serve the Lord. Get that stuff out of your house. And so what did he do? He went in and made sure all the household idols were removed from the people so they couldn't 
entrap themselves, ensnare themselves with their own worship to the false pagan god and bring judgment on the nation even further. It says, And the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before them, what's that mean? It means he was obedient. He, he was obedient. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with, and, I, and I, I circle all four times, it says all, please, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. The only thing, should, with all his strength, right? Right? But it doesn't say that, and well, there's a reason. According to all the law of Moses, we would say the word. Nor after him did any arise like him. But even this man, you know, I think back, we just read last week, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Do you remember what Jesus said when the lawyer came up to him? He said, the lawyer says, how do I inherit eternal life? Or how do I have eternal life? He says, oh, good, good question. He says, I'll give you two for price of one. Remember that? And he said, first, he you go to the word of God, right? You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He actually answers, correct? He says, yeah. And then he said, now what do you do with that? How do you understand that? Do you remember? But I draw our attention to this because the point of the law is you blow it just once from birth to death. You missed it. There's no redo. There's no mulligan. And so living under the law, even Josiah from the age of eight had done all these things right. We're going to read here in a minute. He still didn't keep the law perfectly, which is why God ushered in an even better covenant. The covenant you and I are under, the new covenant. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, which was, which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations in which Manasseh had provoked him. He goes back. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as if I had removed Israel, as I have removed Israel, excuse me, and I will cast off the city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Hmm. Now, we, if we turn to Second Chronicles chapter 35... Here, it'll help us to understand what went wrong because we really don't get the, as I was just reading through this real quick, we don't get the entire detail here. Go to, go to Second Chronicles chapter 35 for a minute. We'll look at verse 20. We'll get additional detail in Second Chronicles. It'll make more sense when I describe why he didn't keep the entire law that way. If you look in Second Chronicles chapter 35 verse 20, it says, After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karshemesh by the Euphrates, and Josiah went against him. But he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. God was telling, and God was using this, this man, right? This Necho, king Egypt to come up against, right? God was actually sending him in as part of his will to come against this other nation, right? And Josiah looks at it and says, well, no, I'm going to go up against him. So who's, who's Josiah really fighting against? God. Refrain from meddling with God. He says it again. Who is with me, lest he destroy you. I mean, here's a Pagan telling him these things. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of who? See, underline it there. We're told here it was actually the mouth of God. He wasn't just pretending or falsely saying this is, you know. No, God actually had given him this assignment. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot. King Josiah and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. And his servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and he brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all of Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And 
Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. That's Jeremiah the prophet. And to this day, all the singing of men and singing of women speak of Josiah and their lamentations. I, I bring this up because he did everything right to this point, didn't he? I mean, what a righteous man under the Lord's guided and tutelage. And just when you think you got it right, just when you're at that moment where you haven't arrived, but boy, you're thinking, man, I'm almost there. Satan loves to throw a curveball at the highest point, at the, the culminating point where you think, I finally understand this, Lord. I know what your will is. And instead of praying and seeking God and saying, Lord, what is your will in this matter? What would you have me to do here? Because God would have clearly spoke to Josiah and says, no, 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 Josiah, I, this is of me. St stand down. And Josiah would have been alive. But he didn't seek the Lord. He, he made one small error that, is it wrong to say it cost him his life? I don't think so. But he did everything else right. And, and that just teaches me a very important biblical axiom. And I, and I hope it, it's a good action service for, for us tonight, a good biblical axiom that way too, is no matter how well we know our Bibles, no matter how spirit-filled we are, no matter how much we have supernatural antennas that God talks directly to us, you know, through the CB radio, right? Or the, 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 the God's Wi-Fi, the angel satellite, right? We should never find our confidence outside of the word of the Lord. Because no matter how comfortable we are with God, no matter how deep and long our relationship is, it just takes one moment of a stumble that can change so many things. And we could end up very much fighting against the God of the universe. And I think of Peter often in those equations in the New Testament. When he loved the Lord Jesus Christ, he loved Jesus and he said, moments earlier, you are God, you're the Messiah. There's paraphrasing, you know, you know, Jesus said, you know, man is not revealed to this to you, but my father from heaven, right? Just beautiful, beautiful, just proof text to say, yes, Peter you're in the will of the Lord. You got it. You're spirit-filled. Well done, Peter. And then a moment later, and I say a moment because I don't know if it's a couple minutes or 10 minutes, Peter has an opinion of his own. And, and I can't say that I would disagree with Peter's opinion. If I was with Peter, I would have been like, yeah, yeah. Because Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter says, Ain't nobody touching you, Jesus. You're my God. And I got your back. And if I got to stand in front of it, it's, it's, you're not going to the cross. And then just a moment later, Jesus turns and rebukes him in love, to, an action sermon again, to say, Peter. Well, he doesn't say it that way. Let me, let me address it how he says it. Get behind me, Satan. Was he calling Peter Satan or was he saying he's operating in the spirit of Satan? Because he was trusting in his pride, his opinion, and willing to put that above the obedience to God no matter what it looked like. No matter what seemed right in the moment. To not trust himself, but to trust the leaning of the Lord and the will of the Lord, even above his own thoughts. That's why I often say our emotions betray us. They really, really do. My emotions betray me because I would have said the same thing to Peter. No, 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 Lord, you don't need to go. You don't need to go. You're here. How about it? Let's roam. It's time. Let's get rid of them. Set up your, your earthly kingdom. But God had a better plan, didn't he? A plan of salvation. A plan that changed everything for every single human being born. A faith in Christ, a redemption, a transformation, something greater than we could ever do in our own ability. 
And that's why it's God's best is always the best. And so we read here, he, now the rest of the acts of Josiah, verse 28, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, back the wrong guy, to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body to a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in the old tomb, in his own tomb, excuse me. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king over his father's place. Now, he had four sons, Josiah. Uh, uh, Jehoaz is not the oldest, right? I, we don't know what happens to the oldest in Scripture if you read through it. I, we, we're not told what exactly happened to the oldest, but, um, but we'll stop there this evening. Um, we'll come back and we'll read about uh, the reign and ultimately... <laughs> The captivity that comes to uh, uh, Jehoaz here. Um, and from this point, verse 31 on, it'll be 20 years to the time that Judah goes, all of Judah goes into complete captivity. There'll be three waves. Nebuchadnezzar uh, from Babylon doesn't just come in one time. Uh, he kind of does these crusades and sieges. And each time he does it, it's actually sort of merciful because the first time he comes in and he, he, he kind of, because there's a rebellion by the king, he kind of says, wait a minute, gets rid of, as we're going to read here, Jehoaz, and says, no, 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 and then kind of backs off. But then we see the next king, ultimately, you read, we don't get it in, in, in our Bible, but extra biblical history teaches us that he rebelled too. And when he rebels and stops paying tribute, because at this point, Judah becomes a vassal uh, kingdom to Babylon. When he rebels, Nebuchadnezzar's hands forced again, Babylon's hands forced again, and he sends in another raid that way. And what do they do? They turn around, and he removes the king, they settle down, and, and then finally you have the last conquest is the third one, and that's the, the most gruesome where they take you know, all the kids and every, and he leaves just a very small portion of poor people there. Um, but everyone else goes or is killed. Um, and that's the three conquests. There will never be a fourth. There's nothing left to be a fourth because Nebuchadnezzar at that point or Babylon at that point isn't going to play games anymore. Three times was a charm, and that was it. So I'd like to have our musicians come forward. Um, would you stand with me, please, or if you're able? Um, so, I mean, really powerful scripture tonight, really powerful the way the Lord is speaking to our heart. Uh, again, I think this personally, I, I believe this is absolutely from the Lord and the Holy Spirit speaking to you and I for the days ahead, for the days we're already living in. Because the application, as I said, we're not, I'm not looking online to try to find an application for every one of you. You are the remnant. You realize that we are the remnant. I, I'm not saying just here. I mean, the body of Christ that's alive is the remnant. I believe we're in the last of the last days. I'm not saying I know the time or the hour. No man does, as Jesus said, only the Father. But clearly, everything I'm seeing in Scripture has been fulfilled or is being fulfilled as it's written, and there's nothing else left to come but the rapture of the church. And so my understanding, my reading of Scripture is we're there. And they were within 20 years at this point, even with such a godly king and all of the, you know, tearing down of idols. There was still judgment that was due because of the sin of Manasseh, the sin of the leaders of that country and the people that followed along with that idolatrous worship. And that's exactly what we're, we're seeing today. And we won't see because we're going to be raptured out. But from the mezzanines at the wedding feast of the Lamb, we will understand what is happening on earth. And I don't believe it'll be a, an entire celebration when Jesus says this is happening right now. I believe he will mourn as we will mourn. Because one soul left behind is one soul too many. The stakes are high, friends. The stakes are high. Father, we come before you, Lord. We are, I am so inadequate, Lord. I thank you for your holy word. I, I pray, God, that we all tonight take this with such a sober 
heart and mind, a joyful heart, Lord, that you you raise up men like Josiah. And Lord, you're doing it again today. You have godly men. Lord, I, I look in this fellowship and I, I see the men and women and the young people, Lord, that you've raised up here that are, are godly men and women, Lord. They love you, Jesus. I pray you protect them and keep them and strengthen them for the days ahead. I pray there would be no compromise, Lord. I pray that we would follow your commandments and statutes and judgments perfectly as you've listed out in your new covenant with us. And that we'd be children of obedience. And Lord, I, I do pray for the lost. I pray, God, that there would be such a softening of hearts. Lord, one more revival, Jesus. One more awakening. Please, Lord, just one more. I beg you. We beg you. I know your will is perfect and your plan is perfect. But, Lord, as you know, there are so many right now that have been just absolutely blinded by lust and their carnality. And, and Lord God, I know I was there. Lord, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for you, Jesus, opening my eyes, I was there. And so how dare I, Lord, even think differently about another man or woman on this earth. So God, I pray, please awaken our souls and our spirits to the depths of need right now for repentance in this country, around the world. The wars and the rumors of wars, Lord. And oh God, please give us one more revival, Lord, that many would come to salvation, Lord, our prodigals, our friends, our families, our loved ones, Lord. Those we don't even know are enemies, Jesus. That no one or a very small portion, I know you teach in Revelation, there will be quite a large portion, Lord, probably 1.8 billion if it's based on the existing population of the earth right now that'll go through those first judgments, Lord, are gonna die. 1.8 billion people, Lord. Lord, that's more than my mind, my heart can... Stand in Jesus. You've given me a heart after yours. We have a heart after you. So, Lord, if that's our hearts, how much more yours, Jesus? So, please, Father, please hear us. See our weeping. Hear us, please. Receive our worship, Lord. Please receive our worship. Forgive us for murder and sin. And, oh, Lord God, have your way in us. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ.
single one of us, Lord. Even if we don't know how to do that, Lord, to surrender all. If we want to, Lord, but the battle inside of us, God, I pray tonight would be different. Tonight, your spirit would so incline us, Lord, to just lay it down once and for all, Lord, to give to you what is rightfully yours, our reasonable service, Lord. It's a reasonable sacrifice, God, receive all of us. It's, it's yours. We're blood-bought. We're simply giving you what you have already given us. Anoint it, Lord. Purify it. Make it holy, Lord. Please, use us to reach this lost and dying world. Lord, I pray, use the radio ministry, Lord. Use the bread ministry, Lord. Use the care teams, Lord. Use every ministry in this church. Use the school, Lord, and the children. Raise up these disciples, Lord. Equipping saints for the work of the ministry, Lord. Take these little people out with grandmas and grandpas and friends and neighbors. Save now, Hosanna. Asa on us, save now. We pray and ask this, Jesus, in your mighty name, the name above all names. We love you, Jesus Christ. We love you. And all God's people declare and pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I love you. Have a blessed evening.